Sony is very lucky that his father is a better person than Oli. And I think you, 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 you are an ostrich. Next Tuesday, April Fool's Day, he's the biggest fool in Manchester. And that is you, David Myers. Football heritage. No one <laughs> wants to be a fullback as a kid. No one wants to grow up and be a Gary Neville. But unfortunately, crimes and wars will multiply. I love football. It's the Bola Boys episode 3 of the 22-23 season. Uh, a lot has happened, even though the season's fresh in our minds. Straight off the press, Thomas Tuchel has been sacked and we've got a reaction from Aslan who's kindly agreed to join us. But before all that and before our regular review and preview segments, let's go through our sponsors who have kindly agreed to sponsor this episode. Fantasy Exchange are a new Premier League fantasy football game from Malaysia with a very interesting concept. They combine trading cards with Fantasy Premier League where you can collect cards and build a team. There are season-long leagues where the f there is the traditional FPL format and weekly leagues where there's 1 in 30 winners per league with unlimited entries where users can win up to a thousand ringgit in cash and prizes every week. You can play on desktop or your mobile or straight on their website, which is www.thefantasyexchange with the letter X and then change.com. Sign up now using the code BOLABOYS and get a free pack worth 40 ringgit. So before any more, let's jump into our segment with Aslan and his thoughts on the sacking of Thomas Tuchel. So we are very lucky to have Aslan on this episode, you know, very short notice. He's uh, agreed to come on. So thanks so much, Aslan. Uh, and obviously, we're here to discuss the breaking news. We're recording currently on the 7th of September. I think Malaysian time is 6.30. Am I right? Yeah, yeah just gone 6.30. 11.30 in uh, England. So apologies, uh, we're, we're hoping to release the pod the next day. So if anything's outdated, we can only apologize. It's my fault. Got... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can blame it on Aslan. Uh, blame me on Chelsea. But let's go, Aslan. Let it all out. The immediate reaction. Thomas Tuchel, after what, a year and a half, has got the sack. Yeah. Fairly, unfairly. Let us know your thoughts. Yeah, this is a safe space. Can be therapy as well. Go yeah, for it. yeah. I definitely need it, man. It's, uh, look, the guy has a 62% win percentage. He's been forced to answer questions about war and politics and morality and humanity. He fronted the club when nobody else wanted to. Yes. Last was, season, uh, he was yeah. two penalty kicks away from silverware. Yeah. And he finished third yep. with sanctions. So he has my utmost respect. Um, but initial reaction is I'm, I'm shocked. I'm, I'm very confused, a little bit disoriented. The last time I felt this way may have been when we first sacked Jose in 2007. It, it kind of doesn't feel real. And a bit of me kind of thinks it's a bit of a sick prank. That Dis the, despite that the Chelsea's managing. Yeah, in spite of that. Record. Yeah, in spite of that. Because this does feel a bit trigger happy. you know. But you know what? The performances don't lie. Uh, and the results don't lie either. And you know, by, by the end of it, uh, by the end of the, the Zagreb game last night, it sounded like he had run out of ideas, honestly. In the post-match press conference, I mean, it was the same whether you were watching the internal Chelsea one or the be-in sports one or the general one in the PC room. It was all the same. He basically just took the full blame, said it was on him. He has, he, it's something he needs to figure out. 
and uh, you know when when the owners spend a quarter of a billion pounds on new players that you specifically ask for and the team plays no better than they did towards the end of last season i even mentioned this in the pre in the pre-season build up when i said it hasn't been fun to watch chelsea these last few months it hasn't been fun this this last two months either that what comes to be, mind uh, that was going to be my next point actually because you, and you've actually answered the question there but just to be clear so all the signings made were Tuchel it wasn't Bowley or it wasn't someone else it was all the manager wanted all the players well there definitely was a conversation between Tuchel because he made it no secret that he didn't like becoming more involved in the recruitment process he consistently bemoaned the loss of Czech um, as the club's technical and performance advisor it raised some eyebrows like, because he's generally very neutral and diplomatic in interviews but his opinion of how Todd has been going about his work were definitely not glowing. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, I mean, the obvious parallel for me to draw is to compare it to Liverpool. Chelsea are above Liverpool in the Premier League at the minute. Uh, obviously, Liverpool kick off their Champions League season tonight against Napoli. I wouldn't... Uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they drop points tonight, if we're being quite honest, the way it's going. But then, then again, I would never consider the manager being sacked at this point of the season. So it's, it's quite hard to compute that, that, that the sacking has happened, you know. So I think let's look forward. Is there a plan in place? Has this always been the plan? Did Boli always want to bring in someone else? Or, you know, what is the story behind it? Yeah, so the rumour is that this wasn't a result of the Zagreb, the Dynamo Zagreb result. This was coming. And uh, as I said, once once you once you spend a quarter of a billion pounds on new players and, and there's no improvement, what comes to mind is that, that viral Chelsea fan, I think from India, who you know, he went out and say there's no passion, <laughs> there's, there's no, passion. no imagination, <laughs> there's no, there's no yeah, aggression. Yeah. That is exactly, now, so yeah, funny. you should. <laughs> that is exactly what, how we've been playing for the last like six months. So like, you know, and, and the thing about Todd is he's, Todd has been to almost every game since he's taken over. And if he's watched the same games as me, you know, to be honest, I, I get it. Even if he is an American who has only watched soccer for the last three, three, four years of his life, bad football is bad football. You know, boring is boring. It's supposed to be entertaining, and and it wasn't. It wasn't there. Yeah, but good um, football takes time. You can't just yeah, quarter well, million pounds spent on players. Fine, you can't expect them. This you know, it's not FIFA. You can't expect them to just turn up on the pitch and. This is true. Yeah. But what we also need to remember is. At the end of the day, Tuchel is not his appointment. And he's been clearing house from every department except for Thomas, who he's been giving his, his full backing, quote-unquote full backing, quarter of a billion worth full backing. Mm. So to me, I think he has also given Tuchel every chance to succeed. And he failed. Has in, he? In, 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 this season? Yeah, what, where, yes, where? this season, I think he has. I think he has because look if you remember I even mentioned I didn't think this 3-4-3 worked and the new players were supposed to come in and we were supposed to find a new system to play and yet we go out with this same 5-3-2-5-3-4-3 formation 
with a very static pivot of Jorginho and and, and I don't know whether we'll be playing Gallagher or Ruben Loftus-Cheek in that position more this but season. But surely, I mean, your your two best midfielders have been out through injury, right? Surely there's a massive caveat there. Kante and Kovacic. Kovacic is just coming back now. Yeah, but this should have been mentioned when he was giving his list of players that Todd should have gone and, gone and gotten. So the list that he went and told Todd to get, Todd has gotten. That that is the understanding. He brought in Aubameyang. He brought in Sterling. As for Sterling, he got Sterling. As for Aubameyang, he got Aubameyang. Yeah, but the yeah. transfer window literally ended like just a week plus I ago. I mean, it feels but it's, it feels but it's way still, too. It's it doesn't show any sign of getting better from last season, which is the scary part. Honestly, between the fans also, there was already some worry about where we were heading because if he was going to change the system why not change it now why are you still insisting on this 3-4-3 with Havertz doing his best impression of a number 9 and I mean yesterday we had Sterling in midfield yeah so like yeah in centre mid so it really it's it's coming to a point where you know does he not want to play the 4-3-3 does he not want to even try to you know change things up he's been insisting on this 343 and he's been insisting on playing players who may not have been fully motivated or, or committed to the club. He's been playing the likes of Ziyech, who has had one foot out the door since May June. I, I can imagine how that makes guys like uh, Hudson or Doy Fields. He stubbornly continued to play Havertz in spite of his lackluster performances, almost to a fault, like how he stuck to Werner in the first few months while Tammy rotted on the bench. So it's possible he also lost the changing room towards the end. Mm. It, it is very possible. Yeah, I mean... And he's had a history of not being easy to get along with, so... No, no. But I, again, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm quite surprised, actually. I'm quite surprised by the reaction. Um, but it's interesting. It's interesting to see, obviously, your point, And that's why it's so important to get, you know, a Chelsea fan and to talk about this. So let's talk about moving forward. I mean, it's so early. I don't know if you've heard... Are there, you know, rumours? Is there anyone lined up? Well, the first question is, uh, I think I would want to know who would want to take this job in the first place because the squad is a mess. It's a hodgepodge of I don't know what kind of players, I don't know what kind of system they could fit. It'll be fun as an FM safe, la, but, but <laughs> for people's careers, it might not be the best option, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. but based on the, the odds, so Graham Potter is the favourite now, but oh, as, as I mentioned, oh, the, the, the squad to me is not set up for him to excel. He has a squad in Brighton that's going to die for him. You put him in a position here where he's got guys like Sterling. But it's, but it's interesting they, like play a, they play a sort of 3-4-3 at Brighton as well, actually. They do. Yeah, they do. So that's but quite interesting. I, I don't know if he can get the buy-in from this personal, this squad with this kind of personality. He has no doubt Brighton he will definitely take the job. You were speaking about who would take this kind yeah, of job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. It is, that, it is that much of a step up that he can't say no, right? I don't know, you know, because he's a smart guy, Potter. He's a structure manager. When I say a structure manager, he's Brighton. Uh, we were just, you know, talking about him on the previous pod about how well run they are. They've got a, you know, they had a good director of football who's gone to Newcastle now, but it's there's a clear structure in there. Chelsea, you know, for, for all their success at the minute, are the opposite. It's yeah. cowboy town, you know, you've just alluded to. So, like you said, I don't know if someone like Graham Potter would, take up the yeah job. neither do I neither do I oh, and, and Je- if you're smart Marsh. enough to see it that this uh, this group of players are just 
this mishmash of don't know what system. I, I, I don't I don't think it's so straightforward that he would want to take it. Um, is, Je- is Jesse Marsh on the odds? Just no. got the American connection. No, Jesse Marsh isn't on the odds. The the other names that came up were Pochettino, but I don't want somebody Oof. that took Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe mm. to second in league. Uh, Zidane <laughs> is up there. Uh, Steve Holland and John Terry are wild cards. Oh Jesus! Please don't do that. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. God. I mean, that'll be entertaining to watch as Liverpool fans. It would be. It would be. I don't know if Steve Holland is ready to make a step up. If anyone is assistant manager, is Steven Gerrard. He should not be uh, managing the football club. <laughs> well, let yeah. me tell you that now. Uh, wow. Jose's name is in there also, but I think that one is just—he's just there because he's Jose. Luis Enrique. Luis Enrique's name is there, but uh, I mean, he didn't do that great for Spain. Didn't do that great with Barca either. Uh, there is a a sort of theory that we are going to have an interim coaching staff that's taking care of the team at least until the World Cup and then post World Cup um, we may make a move for Hansi Flick okay. but, but that's he's ma- that Germany is, manager yeah? yeah he's currently Germany manager I doubt he will take the job before the World Cup but that that one I don't know if it has the legs like it's just a it's a working theory yeah, and I think it's difficult for you to... I mean, like we said, this news literally came out less than two hours ago. So it's difficult to see. But yeah, a lot of uncertainty around the club. Um, but I think this will give us an opportunity to get you back, uh, you know, post-decisions and see see where we are then. Yeah, that should be something I'll be able to do. Maybe by then my, my opinion about losing to Kahoot would have changed or so. Yeah, definitely. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, thanks so much, Aslan. As always, appreciate it. And we'll, uh, again, we'll have you back very soon. Again, a massive thanks to Aslan uh, for basically just fitting us in five minutes after Thomas Tuchel uh, sacking was announced. We really appreciate So we'll jump into our usual review segment. Uh, we didn't mention earlier, we'll be doing Arsenal, Leicester, and uh, we got a special guest on to talk about Newcastle. Um, so let's begin with Arsenal. Uh, this Man United played them over the weekend. Obviously, you're still buzzing from the result. Um, from an Arsenal point of view, I think it'd be disappointing. You know, their first uh, league defeat of the season. But I think overall, the start of the season has been very positive. Yeah, definitely very positive. I think Arsenal are just getting better season after season and I think we can finally see what Ateta wants to play, you know. If you look back at their first season, they were very pragmatic, scoring on the counter, playing five at the back and if you just look back on days where Leno tried to play out from the back and you look at the way Arsenal play now. <laughs> good times. They're, yeah, they're completely different already. They're so fluid, they're so good. So they kicked off the season uh, with five wins in a row. They were the most informed team until they played United. But 15 out of 18 points, I think that's still a remarkable start. They're still top of the league. Um, They had a very decent transfer window uh, in terms of Jesus coming in. I think he's been phenomenal. He's properly, you know, strengthened the attack. And um, players like Saliba who have returned from loan, you know, they're like new players now. Saliba and uh, Zinchenko who they signed also strengthened their defence. And overall, they're just a very, very good team. 
um, I don't know. I don't want to say that. You know, there are a lot of people saying when before United played Arsenal, a lot of people like, oh, Arsenal only played small teams, which is why they won. But it's still not easy. You know, we've they played teams like Crystal Palace, uh, Fulham, where we've seen the top sides, you know, struggle to get points from them. Liverpool correct? drop points to both those sides. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they're good sides, you know. They, they Although maybe they may be bottom 10, but they're still, still very good teams. And Arsenal, you know, they in those games, right, you could see every time they were down a goal, their reaction to those moments was so good. You know, they looked so professional, looked much more matured. Lah. These three players especially, Odegaard, uh, Saka and Martinelli, they've really grown. And yeah, they, they're do looking very, very good this season. Yeah, I think the main worry to be a bit of a devil's advocate, I think, among Arsenal fans is just the length of the season that they have to play and their squad depth as well. I think their first 11 to 13 players are very strong and they have a solid uh, base to work on now, as we can see from the start of the season. But I think the squad depth, I think they needed and they wanted a proper um, substitute for Saka, for example, who's a very key player and he reads out, for example, who it would be potential struggle for the Arsenal team. I think when Arteta was first appointed, right, there were not many people who thought it'd be a success, including myself. Arteta out, yeah. No, <laughs> not, even, not even that, true. right? I remember, I remember speaking to people and just being, what justification is there for a top four team or a team aspiring to be in the top four to hire a manager who's got zero track record. He's never done the job before. His first role in senior management is as Arsenal football coach, uh, for Arsenal football club manager. That's crazy, right? That's yeah. crazy. But fair play to to whoever made those decisions at Arsenal because you look at it now, it's really aligned very nicely. And we talked about Chelsea there with Aslan. This is the complete opposite where they've yeah. given a highly unproven coach, time, strategy, and commitment. Money, everything. And the money. And this is the fruits, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think it's very nice. Like, I, 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 I'm, you know, I don't really have a second team, but if I had to choose, I think I like, I quite like seeing Arsenal, uh, the progression over the last few seasons. Um, so you're absolutely right, Viz. I think it's underrated in the sense that beating the teams you should beat it's not easy. You ask Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool this season, they'll tell you it's not easy. Um, but Arsenal have done it and they'll continue to do it. I think I was, I was speaking to a few Arsenal fans after the United result and they said, yeah, it's disappointing, obviously, to drop points and, you know, you never want to lose. But in the grand scheme of things, if they go on and win the rest of their games against the teams that they should beat, that's absolutely fine. That's more than enough to get top four and even beyond exactly. that. Exactly. So, But let's talk Let's talk about the United game in particular, Viz. Um because 3-1 is no joke. You know, it's a really good win for United. Yeah. And I was surprised by the result, if I'm being quite honest. Yeah, to be fair, I was surprised as well. Rahul, I'm not going to sit down here just because we beat them 3-1 and say, no, I was confident. I was not confident at all, you know, going into this game. Arsenal, you know, are a very good side. You know, they won five games in a row coming into this game, right? And they looked really good in that game. You know, they, they, they looked well coached. They were very fluid. They were... For me, undoubtedly, the more dominant side for large parts of that game, they really dominated possession. Um, they had what, 61% possession, you know, 16 shots compared to United's 10 shots. But if you just look at the stats, right, it doesn't tell the whole story because I think where Arsenal failed were in the important moments. 
And if you look at the shots on target, United had six compared to Arsenal's three. And if you look at the XG, United dominated XG compared to Arsenal. So it's hard for me to say that United did not deserve to win if you look at the chances both teams had. And we, we talk about lineups. I think both lineups were similar. Um, United unchanged lineup uh, besides Anthony coming in. And Arsenal also started quite strong, um, except uh, they didn't have uh, Zinchenko the previous game. So he came in af- right after injury. I think a lot of Arsenal fans, even my myself included, were I was a bit surprised for Zinchenko to start. But yeah. I think I agree largely with that. And I think that's where if they want to go to the next level, right? Maybe beyond the season or even a work on the season is what Arsenal have to do is to be a bit more ruthless in both boxes, right? Yeah. And all, all the top, top, top teams, that's what they are. So even City, no matter if they're having a good game or a bad game, they are normally pretty ruthless at the back in the sense that, you know, if you're getting a shot against them or if you're getting a shot on target, it's pretty rare. But you give them a chance and they're probably going to score. You know, you give them an inch, mm. they're going to score. And that's what Arsenal are not doing now. The build-up play is there. They're managing, like you said, they're managing to create chances and get shots on target. Yeah. But the quality of the shots is not there and they're not maybe finishing all the shots that they should be finishing. Yeah. yeah. Right? So I think that's what they need to work on if they want to get on to the next next stage. Um, but Kaiser, you know, players like Martinelli, Saka, Odegaard, you know, it's just great to see young players who've been back for a couple of seasons now, really playing some really good football, being the main characters. Odegaard is club captain, you know, at such a young age. Uh, it's quite nice to see. Yeah, definitely nice to see. I mean, as a neutral and also, uh, which I'm not, uh, but I would imagine it would be <laughs> very nice to see. <laughs> uh, but yeah, because I guess they haven't been challenging up there as well. It's good to see the progress and like you said it's done it feels like it's done the right way I mean they backed the manager I remember like a few seasons ago where Edu had to come out and even give a proper interview trying to gather all the fans and um, people who were criticizing them together and saying just to believe what they're working on and at that time I remember remember when they were signing Ramsdale Ben White there were so many people under scrutiny uh, because of that and yeah, it's just good to see the progress uh, since then, like you said, of the younger players. Um, because I think that's another thing they were under scrutiny for, always buying and uh, buying young players and getting young players from the academy. But I think over time now they're maturing. We're seeing the fruits of the labour, basically. Definitely. So, Viz, I think it'd be unfair to not talk about United, like, you know, since it was quite a good result. Just some quick yeah. thoughts from you. Um. So, if you look at the flow of the game how it went I think United started very strong they were very dominant uh, first 10 minutes and then Arsenal just slowly you know took control of the game and it was just Arsenal after after the first 10 to 15 minutes and that's when Arsenal scored the first goal which was disallowed so I want to put this back to you guys you know VAR reviewed it and sort of said um, you know it was a foul Odegaard in, in leading up to the build-up, right? Odegaard had fouled Eriksen from the back, and uh, Eriksen, eh, sorry, Odegaard took the ball, put Martinelli through, and Martinelli scored. I thought it was a foul, um, but I just want to put back the question to you guys, maybe because I'm a United fan, you know, I'm biased. Yeah, Kaiser, even the la- even the language was a bit biased, like fouled from the back, you know. Uh, but I felt I don't know. I felt Eriksen <laughs> was slightly already off balance. 
Uh, it was from the side, but I can see why it's given for sure. But it's yeah. definitely Soft, softer, right? Because soft. most people would have been like um, in possession of the ball and like tried to shoulder off, right? But he was really off balance slightly, and it was just a small nudge on the leg at the back, and he fell because he was really slightly off balance. So I think it was pretty harsh. Um, yeah. So I feel it could have gone either way, to be honest. It was you see, one of those kind um, of fouls. you see, these are the type of fouls, right? In real time, when you see it, right, you're like, oh no, I don't think that's a foul. But then when you see it in slow-mo, suddenly like, eh, that looks like it a looks foul. It looks so much worse. You know? Yeah. yeah, so like, these are, it's very, very fine. It's a fine line, you know? And, um, yeah. but that's the thing, one. that's the thing. That could have changed the momentum. It's a small, it's a small, uh, moment but that could have just changed the entire score line yeah. you know yeah. and what a confident great finish by Martinelli yeah well what a finish that corner. was like Torres-esque so, yeah. you know that finish that was really good no joke very proper good celebration all, and yeah. then all the yeah. and then after that goal it was Arsenal you know they were just so confident they were dominant and then out of nowhere United got a, like, a, like a spell of like 3 or 4 minutes of possession and they scored a very, very good team goal, I would say. Finished off by our new signing, Anthony. <laughs> Early thoughts? Some thoughts on Anthony? Uh, I think it's very harsh to say that he didn't have a good game because he scored. And if you look at it, he's only had one day training with the team. And he's there in the starting lineup, you know, against Arsenal, who were title challengers, you know, before this game. So I think he did pretty well, if you ask me. Yeah. Early days. Early days. Very early sure. days. Um, so I think, I mean, Arsenal won't be too disheartened by the result. They've got two opportunities before the international break to pick up some points against Everton at home and Brentford away. And these are the games I think they really need to be winning convincingly to make sure that top four is secured. So we'll take a break there. And after the break, again, we're very lucky that Kevin Wee has agreed to talk to us about his beloved Newcastle. So... Kaiser sat down with him and had a quick chat. We'll see you then. All right, welcome to the Newcastle segment of the pod. Today, I'm very thankful to have a special guest with me by the name of Kevin Wee. He's been a fan of Newcastle for 20 years. So, Kevin, what was it like back then? Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, it's... It's been a journey, 20 years. <laughs> uh, yeah, I still remember the days when we were uh, up there, challenging 4th or 5th, Alan Shearer getting the goals, Lon Robert scoring absolute screamers from 40 oh, free yards. Free kicks, oh yeah. man, yeah, I remember that as well. There's a, there's a fun stat out there that uh, he's actually the most effective free kick taker in the Premier League history. History, in terms of like rate, free kick yeah. rate. in terms of like free kick goals per minute. Wow. That's impressive. And since then, you've been, like you said, on a massive journey. And most recently, after so long of crying out for Mike Ashley to be out, three hundred million pounds Saudi takeover. I mean, do you feel a bit hypocritical when <laughs> this was thing? Were you celebrating it? Uh, how do you feel about the takeover and where it's at now? I mean, naturally, it's always it's it's a bit conflicting because as a football fan. Anyone who was on a certain end of the table was always talking about how, oh, Man City's money is ruining the league. Suddenly, we've <laughs> yeah, got the money. I mean, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we always, like, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, I think, I think it's one of those things where it happens to any number of clubs, right? You have yeah. clubs from the range of, like, Man City who, let's face it, before the takeover, they were very decidedly, like, a local team. 
Yeah. Right? The support was very local, and they weren't, mm -hmm. like, a big, big side right. uh, in terms of, like, traditional top four sides. But yeah. you look at them now, uh, money changes people. But it, similarly, <laughs> you, see, uh, you see Everton. They yeah. also were bought by a huge, huge billionaire, uh, Fahad Mashiri, lots mm -hmm. of money, pumped a quarter of a billion into that squad. Yep. And they're kind of trying to stay afloat right now. Yeah, so I guess how, how are things different now after the takeover and I guess in terms of how it's run and also the expectations, uh, I guess? Well, so for the club itself, I think there's, there's, a bit of a, uh, there's a bit of a disconnect between expectations and reality for a lot of people because we've seen the come up of clubs like Man City and PSG, but it's also pre-FFP. So yeah. expectations, I think if we're being realistic, we have to temper them a lot. I'm personally, I'm happy with improvement rather than I'm not expecting us to challenge for the title in two years or three years. That I think Man City took to okay. uh, start challenging for step, the title. Step by step. Step by step. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, you can see the change in the culture, like from Mike Ashley's time, he pretty much stopped coming to games the last few years of his ownership. Right. He stopped communicating with the fans, there was no direction, there was no communication. When Benitez's last few months were about, we had no news about how the team was doing, what was going on behind the scenes, whether or not Benitez would sign or not, and then all of a sudden, he's gone, it's Steve Bruce in. Yep. But now it's different, right? Like, Stavely, Gadusi, um, Jamie Rubin, all of them, they're active on Twitter, they talk to the fans, constantly at the games, you can tell they care, and that's, I think, the biggest thing. And have they communicated that, how, especially the manager, I think a lot of people were surprised with that appointment, is he the long-term uh, solution? Because they also have backed him with a lot of money in the transfer window uh, this season. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. I think uh, Amanda Stavely has said that uh, they were very blown away by his long-term plan and his vision mm -hmm. for the team. Right. Uh, I think it came down to him or Unai Emery. Those were the yeah. two we were looking at. Because I think the two of them were the ones who presented long-term plans. So I think whoever mm -hmm. we ended up with, we were going to stick with for the long-term. At least that's the plan. Unless yeah. something drastic happens. I mean, mm -hmm. it's Premier League. Shit happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, anything can happen exactly. After three losses, your head's on the chopping block. You know, losing 9-0 uh, to Liverpool. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not quite. We can talk about the, that recent game uh, soon. Uh, but before that, I mentioned about the transfers and I think everyone was waiting for the Saudi money to really kick in. And I think, I mean, Isak for £60 million uh, and you've bought Botman. Target Pope for a total of almost around 120 million pounds. So massive transfer window. Um, how do you feel about the signings? Three of them defensive as well. Yes. I mean, I'll be honest. It's a step in the right direction, but we're not quite there yet because mm. in all honesty, the squad that Mike Ashley left us with, St. Maximin and Wilson aside, were basically one of those squads that's not quite a Premier League squad, too good to be in the championship. We were very much well, like... You, you think they were that bad? Yeah, squad, huh? I mean, oh, we hadn't refreshed most of our key positions in years. Um, right. When I mean, I like anyone who plays in the Premier League is automatically like top one percent athlete in the world. But mm. at the same time, 
Kieran Clark should not be starting at the center of our defense. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, all right, fair point, fair point. Uh, and Isa, I mean, the recent games, uh, especially Liverpool, uh, I mean, he's got the first goal. It seems like he's making an instant impact. Um, are you confident of his abilities? He's only 22 years old and leading the line. I mean, is he going to be first choice ahead of Wilson? Are they going to play together? I'm very interested in the signing. I, I've been a big fan of Isaac for years. Like, I, I followed him uh, after he left Dortmund and went to Sociedad. Uh, right. I've always, I, like, he, he has something about his game where it's not about the raw physicality. It's not just about the pace. Mm. It's about... Even though he's a big boy, yeah. He's a big boy, and, like, he could bully a lot of people off the off the ball but that's not his game his yeah. game is almost that sort of like you can see you can see the influences of like the Zlatan type of play style in all these like Erling Haaland has that too like the Scandinavian Scandinavian strikers the Scandinavian strikers who grew up <laughs> idolizing like Ibrahimovic you can see mm. that like they play that's in like they're all about positioning they they have that quick two three steps turn off the defender and like that's why he he's going to get called for a lot of offsides this year yeah, and I was very impressed with him in the Liverpool game. He, there was one disallowed goal that he had as well that he took so, so well, uh, cutting through Trent and Gomez. Uh, and of course, the goal itself. Uh, but talking about that game where you lost 2-1, uh, <laughs> what was it like uh, going through that and especially the injury time goal that when, I mean, questionably over time, but there was a lot of time-wasting uh, tactics from Newcastle. So a bit of karma there potentially. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. You're lucky you're not call. You didn't call right after the game. This would be a very different conversation. Very, very different uh, energy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no. Honest. In all. In, in all fairness, it's one of those games where I think a one-one would have been fair, and I think two-one either way would have been fair. Like it was one of those games where if we'd won two-one, I probably wouldn't have been like, oh, I would. It would have been a bit like we got away with it, but. At the same time, because mm. we were without ASM, we were without Wilson, we were without Bruno. Right. And, like, on, on the run of play, like, we had a good first half. You guys had a great second half. The time-wasting thing, I think that gets... That does get blown up a little bit. I do think there was a lot of time spent nursing the players, but I think a lot of people yeah. forget the context of that. We had a very physical game in the FA Cup against Tranmere. That's where Bruno picked up his injury, Wilson picked up his injury where we basically kind of got kicked off the park for 90 minutes. Then the right. Wolves game right after that was very physical. That's mm -hmm. where ASM picked up his injury, where okay. the ref kind of let a lot of things slide. And yeah. so that game became very physical. I, I do think you could see the frustration in a lot of our players post-Tranmere game, the Wolves game. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just exhaustion. Like, we are the highest yeah. pressing team in the Premier League this season. We okay. press the ball that's more than any other team, and that's kind of Howe's style of play. We also don't really have that depth, right? When Klopp came in and he started doing all that high-pressing, gegenpress style for yeah. Liverpool, you guys did still at least have a lot of depth in mm. your squad. Okay. We don't quite have that yet. Yeah, and I, I feel like you say with the absence of players, it's justified for you to... I mean, it is a strategy... Uh, at the end, I mean, the amount of cramps, I don't know, which, like you said, could be from tiredness, but some could be, you know, mm -hmm. strategy. and Pope holding the ball extra long for yeah. multiple times, but it is still a strategy, and I mean, people will get upset by that, but uh, yeah, as a Liverpool fan, I was just uh, extra relieved uh, that, that happened. And then the Palace game as well, some injustice there. That I one hurts the, more. That one that hurts one, more. I would think so as well, because I've watched the goal uh, again, and I was like, 
how it's not even that it was a foul for you guys. It should be a if, if it's not a goal, it's a penalty yeah. <laughs> for you guys. I would have thought because of the push on Willick's back. So yeah, well, how was that going through I mean, that? And it was it was it was frustrating and. Yeah. Nobody, nobody in the Premier League is entitled to anything, right? We don't. I, I don't. I don't like saying the phrase "we deserved the three points" because anything <laughs> yeah, happens. That's why we play the games. But yeah. I don't know. There's like, some... I, I feel aggrieved, but on the run of play, if we had converted our chances, it shouldn't have mattered. We mm. had several chances oh. where Mickey hit the post, Willock pulls it wide. And Isaac had a clean breakaway. He tries to chip the keeper instead of slotting it to the side. All mm. these things kind of, all these little things add up. And over the course of the season, I think they'll all even out. But it was so frustrating because so frustrating at the point. Yeah, I can't yeah. imagine, <laughs> especially the way that it's. But like you said, I think yeah, I mean a lot of teams have gone through that where yeah, one decision feels that it matters the most. But over the course of ninety minutes, yeah. There's a lot of chances that you could have put them away. Well, I guess, I mean, you've been encouraged by the performance overall um, from the first uh, six games. Oh, yeah, now 100%. We are at, yeah, you guys are 11th and you're on seven points. Um, yeah, I guess I guess you can touch a bit on how Eddie Howe has um, impacted the team and the tactics and what you are encouraged by if you are. Yeah, I mean, it, it was always going to be a transition because we came from Rafa, who had a three in the back or five in the back system, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. And our personnel was built for that. And then mm. Steve Bruce didn't really... Steve Bruce doesn't do tactics. So it was kind of just <laughs> stick the best 11 players on the pitch. Most of them were from that five in the back system. So we played right. a lot of three in the back, five in the back. And Eddie Howe has come in and his vision has very much been, we're playing a 4-3-3 in a very sort of Atletico Madrid, Diego Simeone style sort of like, we're going to we're going to bully you off the ball as much as we can, and we're going to make life uncomfortable. You want to play it out from the back. We're going to make your defenders wish that they uh, that you guys were playing route one, right? Like yeah. that's 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 sort of the mentality that he's had. And because of okay. that, like there's not a lot of leeway for error. We cannot have people who are going to lose their cool, lose their head in the crucial moment. So it's right. sort of he's very much stamped locker room culture is number one. So. Yep. Very much he has this, we have this no dickheads policy at Newcastle where it's just like high character players only. Right. And that's, um, is that evident in the signings as well? Uh, you feel for sure? Oh yeah. No, I think it started with Trippier. Like he was, mm. he very much was the ultimate how signing to start with. You start Literally with for Atletico Madrid as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, there's there's a great article I read. Uh, I think it's on the Athletic, but it's basically yeah. When Eddie Howe was at Atletico Madrid, he met Kevin Trippier when he okay. was he was learning under Diego Simeone. Right. Okay. That's an interesting connection. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think like you said, um, you can definitely see a clear change uh, from the Bruce and uh, Benitez era. And from that, um, does it come with, I think we talk about expectations from the takeover in general on a high level, but I think you've seen the performances from the end of last season and this start of the season. Uh, I guess, what are your expectations or fans' expectations uh, of the season at the start? And I guess, has it been different after six games? Yeah, I mean, I think you're always going to have a vocal minority that are always pushing for unrealistic targets, right? Like, you're a Liverpool fan. Like, 
<laughs> Despite how your start is, I'm sure you know there's a lot of your fan base who are like, we should be winning the league. We should be in the like. Yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, and it's kind of yeah. natural. Like we we are the richest club in the world right now, so naturally we do have fans who do think we should be already pushing for titles. But I mean, I can only speak for myself, right? And yeah, for me. I'm very happy if we can get, like, if we're pushing, like, West Ham were for, like, Europa League spots, and we end up ultimately in the Conference League, in and around those, like, if we're challenging for, like, somewhere between 6th to, like, ninth, 6th to 8th, let's say. If we're challenging anywhere 6th to 8th, and we have a good cup run, that is, that is already, like, that's an A++ season for me, right? Like, if we end up, like, in the 8th spot, ninth spot... Yeah, that's that's pretty much about where I expect our squad to be after last season and the amount yeah. of investment. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, Premier League especially is very unforgiving in terms of the timelines. I feel so unrealistic in terms of how quick they expect things to change. I mean, yes, you have a massive injection of money, but it doesn't mean things are just going to change over half a season, you know, just because of that. So, yeah, I... Um, can understand your realistic expectations. So let's say if you do finish 10 to 15th, mm-hmm. yeah, what will your what will your feelings be like of the season? I guess does it matter like on the performances as well? But I guess ultimately it's the league table that matters, huh? I think like it would be disappointing to finish the season in the bottom half of the table, um, yeah. given especially the performance from the last half of the season. But ultimately, uh, mm-hmm. last half of last season and the start of this season, like, it would be disappointing, but ultimately, I'm more interested in making, sh- like, seeing that we have growth, right? I'm okay yeah. with, even if we, if we're shooting for, like, 7th, 8th as a position on league table, and we end up 10th, 11th, because we had a bad run of form, injuries, whatever it is, right. I'll, I'll take that, right? I'll take that yeah. if that means that there is going to be continued growth, because... The big thing for me is that um, you need to see that continued growth in the Premier League, right? You you mm-hmm. have to adapt or you die in the Premier yeah. League. And I'm I'm more interested in making sure that we have a core group because Isaac is young, Bruno is young, right? Yeah. I think Pope is one of the only like older players. Everyone else we brought in has been young because there's this idea of like it's a long term plan, and right. if our our like. If our goal moving forward is to build a spine around Bruno and Isaac, then absolutely, right? Like, yeah. I'd rather we take the betting in time, which is something Hal likes to do, right? He took time to bet in Bruno last season. He's slowly yeah. betting in Elliot Anderson this season, mm-hmm. right? Like, these are slow improvements, and I'll take that, right? I'll take that if the performance is on the pitch, because our squad still isn't deep enough, right? Yeah. I like a lot of our players, but, and again, like I said, Premier League players, they are top 1% athletes in the world, so we have to keep that in perspective, yeah. but bringing on Jacob Murphy is really <laughs> not something I'm excited by at the end of games. And you, and you can see a lot of teams in the previous seasons where getting into Europe was actually detrimental to the team's growth just because of how mm-hmm. thin the, spread is, uh, the squad is spread. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Okay, sounds like um, Kevin has uh, realistic expectations uh, of Newcastle this season. It'll be interesting to see uh, where we end up if we do have a conversation towards the end of the season. But uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on, Kevin. It's been a pleasure talking to you and hopefully catch you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Hope to see you guys soon.
again thanks very much to kevin who is actually our second guest our second guest <laughs> of this podcast which is a new bola boys record so far we've uh, only had one today we have two uh, so from the highs of talking about Newcastle and Arsenal, we are talking about Leicester City, who unfortunately have not been faring as well as the other two teams. Um, disappointingly, they've got on to an awful start. I think most Leicester fans would agree that they've carried on from where they left off last season. A single point from all the games played so far. Um, not only on top of that, the performances have been pretty dysfunctional i think it would be fair to say 16 goals conceded which is the second worst in the league only after bournemouth and the third lowest xg so they're not really performing or firing on cylinders on either side of the pitch which is never a good sign i think you compound and you look at the off the pitch troubles as well they recently announced a 120 million pound loss over the last three years uh, and this is, I think, spilling over a bit into their recruitment policy where for majority of the summer, they didn't make a single signing. And I think only after the Wesley Fofana transfer had gone through to Chelsea for £70 million did they manage to make their one and only signing, which was uh, Woodface. I don't know if I'm saying that right, who's a centre-back that they've signed. Um, I think it all comes back, rightly or wrongly, to the manager so Brendan Rodgers again will be under a lot of scrutiny um, you know he's got a lot of credit in the bank two top five finishes they obviously mm -hmm. make the Europa Conference semi-final but lose to Roma they win an FA Cup and then the Community Shield following that but 220 million pounds spent and this is what you have to show for it I think I think that's a decent amount for a club of Leicester stature and size uh, but regardless, he's going to be feeling the pressure now. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on on, on, on the whole um, situation, really. Yeah, I think despite, like you said, I think it's very important to look back at his achievements. But now looking forward, I think this is one of the biggest drops I've seen in a team, I think, from one season to another. I mean, last season, Viz was predicting them to finish above Liverpool. Um, and now they, are, <laughs> now they are now they are bottom of the league after six games. I think um, in a lot of different situations or clubs, I think Brendan Rodgers would have been sacked despite his uh, past achievements. So, I mean, I, I want to see the bookies' odds basically after this Tuchel sacking. Brendan must be up there. If uh, somehow Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard don't get sacked before this guy, <laughs> they are they are doing something. Uh, they have something yeah. on the owners, lad. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but you look back at the, the the two recent performances. We'll start with the United game, Viz, because obviously you would have been watching that quite closely. Yeah. From you know I when was, I was doing research, it was so boring, for, bro. It was yes, so boring. I, and and that's largely due to the fact that you know when Leicester have played United in the past or any big team, even City, they've always been a very difficult side to play against. Yes. But the only mm. chance of word that I can remember, and maybe I'm wrong here, was the Madison free kick, which the Gea, you know, is a very good save actually. He was heading yeah. for the top post. But yeah. I can't really remember them threatening otherwise. They have one chance towards the end, I think like 89 minutes something, James Justin had a shot. But that's oh, it. Yes. The whole yeah. game, I think that was the most dangerous chance that Leicester had. And to be fair to Leicester, United didn't have any other chances either compared to the goal, you know. So it was, it was a very flat game. But overall, right, I thought United did control the game to a certain extent, you know, keeping Leicester at bay and just not allowing them to do anything. 
But yeah, Leicester is so bad. Leicester were just so, so bad. What was uh, Vardy's performance like? And the reason I'm asking that question is because it'll follow up to the next thing I'm going to say. Um, I think... Okay, Vardy's main thing was his pace and his finishing, right? And I think his, his age is sort of uh, catching up to him. I don't know. This is what I think. He's, he, that sharpness about him, you know? I think that's slowly like dwindling away. And I think Martinez just... He was just too much for uh, him to handle, basically. I mean, too much for Vardy to handle. He just couldn't do anything with Martinez. Martinez really, really played well that game. Yeah, and I think then you lead on. So the United game, they lose 1-0. And then they play Brighton on uh, well, only three or four days later. Vardy is dropped. Uh, again, which is not that odd. I mean, in the past, when they've had successive games, you know close to each other if they're playing every three days when they were playing in Europe and playing the league you did see Vardy drop to the bench but I think this was coming you know he's 35 years old even though he started his professional career late he was always going to drop off and I remember saying this to someone either beginning of last season or season before is he will drop off it'll be a sudden drop off and Leicester really have to start making the next steps to replace what he brings to the team not only in his goals and assists but as the presence up front right, as the talisman for the team. You look at him consistently getting 15 goal returns, that's either goals or assists, ever since they were promoted. That's a big chunk of an attacking output of a team. And I think that's been really carrying Leicester over the last few seasons. And to be fair to them, they tried to replace it early. They tried to bring in the replacements. They signed Ian Acho from uh, City and Patterson Daka. Uh, I think mixed mixed reactions. Ian Nacho has showed some brilliance. I remember from a fantasy point of view, remember when he was banging in goals. Yeah, that fun. stretch. Yeah. But not, not quite there. And I think it's not just the attack which is dysfunctional. They're having to play Wilfred and Didi, who I think is one of the best DMs CDMs, in the league yeah. in, at centre-back because yeah, they sold for Fana. He doesn't huh. like Suyonku. So it's, 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 it's not right. It's not right. And then you look at Brighton, the team they played, and I mean, no no spoilers there. They lost 5-2 convincing, <laughs> convincingly. I mean, those two goals that they scored, I think was, you know, out of, out of yeah. the run of play anyways. Mm. You compare a team who is so well run in Brighton. We are singing their praises even in the last podcast. But Leicester used to be that team. Yeah, yeah. Leicester mm. used, used to, to have praise tremendous. Leicester for their signings yes. and all that. I remember. You know, I remember yeah. the pre-season pod that we did last season with the signings they made, like Daka, Sumare. Sumare. Yeah, but they've just sort of it's been downhill, bro. Since that pre-season episode, it's been downhill, man. Yeah. And to be fair, I remember saying this to uh, Leicester fans when they first appointed Brendan Rodgers. He's not at that level, you know. He's got a ceiling. And the one thing that he really doesn't have is player recruitment. So if you give him a good squad with good players and you ask him to do his thing, which is nice possession-based attacking football, he'll do well. The moment that squad starts to become filled with his players that he's bought, this is what happens. He's te- mm. he's a terrible uh, recruitment. I mean, he signed Ben Teke first, do you remember? Yeah. For 30 million pounds. Like for Liverpool, when he was at Liverpool, every signing he made was pretty bad. Like, you know, I remember when when Klopp came in, there, there were hardly any players that finally made the squad that Brendan Rodgers had signed. Rodgers had, yeah. You know, so I think this is, yeah, they're, they're in trouble. I think financially as well, they don't really have the capability to splurge. And I think that just shows you how difficult it is in the Premier League 
for teams like Leicester to consistently achieve success because the margin for error is so, so, so small, right? You have a couple of years, a couple of windows, not even a couple of windows. We were, like you said, beginning of last season, we were praising them. Some people thought they'd finish in the top four. And here we are now, just a year later. That's two windows, two poor windows and you are here. You know, so I think it is difficult. They've got Aston Villa, Spurs and Nottingham Forest next. Ideally, you'd want to pick up at least six points there, but I'm not so sure. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I don't think, I think, I don't think they're going to, maybe Nottingham Forest, I don't know. Yeah. But no, Leicester are just so bad, bro. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, but they're just so bad. They've got one point, guys. One point after six games. That's, that's relegation form. That's so yeah, bad. Yeah, something's got to change. Yeah. I mean, it'll likely always be the manager, unfortunately. Yeah. I think that'll be the easiest change, right? The path of least resistance rather than overhauling yeah. the squad. Uh, but we'll see. So I think that comes, uh, that brings our uh, review section to a close. We'll see you guys at the preview section. Big clash coming up between Man City and Spurs. Spurs actually a bit of a bogey team for City. Last season, they dropped, they lost twice, right? They lost twice to City. Yeah. Um, one to Nuno, one to Conte. <laughs> yeah, but a bit of a spluttering start, I think Spurs so far. They've been picking up the points, no doubt, but the yeah. performances have not been so convincing. This, how do you think uh, this one's going to play out? Oosh. Um So far, these two teams are the only unbeaten teams, so they're going to go head to head. First and sorry, second and third going head to head. Also, they're the two best defenses in the league. They have the lowest XGC. First and third. Uh, Sorry? First and third, right? No, second and third. Arsenal are first. Oh my god. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Don't forget, bro. Don't forget. They're still Arsenal, there. They're still man. there. They're still there. <laughs> <laughs> because you, I bet you were like City first, right? Because it's like an auto thing. I just head, I don't right? even look at the top, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, surprisingly for this game, right? I am backing Spurs to get a result. In the sense that uh, Spurs are Spoiling. playing away to City. So I think um, they're either going to get a draw or they're going to try and beat City. Because it's just the way these two teams play. I know Pep is going to just stick to his system and try to, you know, attack, attack, attack. And Conte is going to just be the more pragmatic, smart, on the counter. You know, try to control the game without having the ball. So it's going to be very interesting. Two very, very good teams going head to head. Yeah, will Son finally get uh, a returner? Yeah, I think I actually think this is going to be the game that he scores his first goal of this season. You know, he has to he come somewhere. Of, uh, he's sort of taken over from Kane's. Uh, you know, they always used to say Kane never scores Kane in August, starts. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but now it's on. Because last season he had a really slow start, and then obviously he he wins the Golden Boot. Um, so it'll be very interesting. I think this will be a. I think the big difference this season is again lah, like everything else is Haaland. Mm. Right, yeah. so I don't think we've spoken too much about him since the season <laughs> has started, but he's a machine. Really, he really is. A, a and is coat. this considered? Sorry, is this City's biggest game so far of the season? Am I right in saying that they haven't yeah. played any other like the traditional top six, correct? Yeah, yes. not. So oh, I just want to yeah. see how that's true. That's true. How Haaland plays against uh, because Spurs, their two centre backs are really good. Spurs' defense in general are really really good. So I want to see how Haaland plays against them. 
for all you know he's gonna just bulldoze his way lah. Yeah. It's so unfair, no. bro. It's like not fair, you know. Like what the hell? <laughs> yeah, but I think I agree with you. This game is not gonna be straightforward. For yeah, some, it's yeah. not. It's not gonna for be straightforward. Sure. For sure. Fantastic. So, the week after, Liverpool visit Chelsea. Uh, a bit of an interesting tie, but probably for different reasons. Both teams struggling this season so far. I think it's fair to say. Um, Chelsea, despite all their signings, have obviously now sacked the manager. It'll be interesting to see who they get in and whether that gives them a bit of a bounce. Uh, but again, two weeks <laughs> is, a, is, is, a, is a very short time to find a new cohesion and to f- you know play. Uh, who knows, right? The, who the next manager is going to be. Liverpool, yeah. on the other hand, are getting a few of the injured players back. So Diogo Jota and Thiago are back into training. Um, suddenly, Liverpool go from three senior attackers to five. Thiago has been a big, a key role, a key player in that midfield and the way Liverpool have been playing over the last 18 months. And they've also signed Arthur Mello on loan from Juventus. So it'll be interesting to see if Klopp can get him up to scratch because he's been a player whose fitness has really been in, in question and to see how Liverpool can fare from this point onwards. Uh, Kaiser, it seems like both teams could really do with a result in this fixture. Yeah, both teams, like you said, have been playing really badly. Um, yes, they're not getting the points, but they also did, don't deserve those points uh, in most of the games. Um, uh, but historically, This has been a tight fixture generally. I mean, shown by the last six games, they've played two wins, two draws, two losses between them. Uh, they're both sixth and seventh. Chelsea being sixth with ten points, seventh is uh, Liverpool seventh and nine points. Um, yeah, this fixture feels a bit strange compared to the previous seasons. I feel at least one of the team was flourishing. It feels it's never been uh, both teams um, having sort of the same fate, which is. Um, playing badly and getting poor results, and now with the added um, complication of Chelsea's new manager, it's really tough to see how this game will potentially go. Uh, but Chelsea look in a bigger mess currently, um, I believe. Especially like you said, Liverpool's injuries are coming back. Uh, I think there's a bit more hope and optimism in that sense. And for Chelsea, like based on the last Champions League game, that's Tuchel um, caveated with that, but. He was changing and chopping formations and playing Sterling at CM. Oba was played after only a few games of training. And so, yeah, they're in a bit of a pickle. But maybe in two weeks, it could look different. Vish, any thoughts? No, it's just, uh, it's just funny to see we um, previewing this fixture, right? It's like, it's like how... Arsenal and uh, United were last season, you know, like two teams were who weren't so good, who really needed a point, you know, like <laughs> the vibes that I'm getting, <laughs> la, you know, how the tables have turned. Like Chelsea, Chelsea and Liverpool last season, like shit, man, that was going to be a proper game, you know. I mean, it still will be a proper game. I'm not saying that it's not, but but yeah, I'm backing yeah, Liverpool to win I, this I, one, I, la, yeah. for sure. Like I'm confident on, on Liverpool uh, will win this, bro. On the note of new signings as well, Liverpool spent a lot of money on... Uh, Their new man up front, Darwin Nunes. Any thoughts so far? Yeah, just a... Yeah, I think it, I was a bit... not Yeah, a bit sceptical at the start just because of the type of player he is and we haven't really played with kind of... He is really a target man in that sense. Uh, and we've played with fluid front three. Uh, I feel there's a s- space for him in the system if Klopp wants to 
change things up. But starting with him, I feel he feels like a square peg in a round hole sometimes, trying Ooh. to uh, fit in the rest of the team. My, I think he's still very early. Is I don't. He's hardly just, played, lah, guys. Three games already no, he missed. Yeah, right? maybe so. Maybe so. I, I get Give him some so time, lah. It's nothing yeah. to be written off, but he doesn't look great, lah. If I'm being honest, you mm. know, he doesn't look yeah. great, and I think it's not. It's not the fact that he's not. He hasn't. I mean, he scored a goal and he's got an assist, or rather, he scored two goals and he got an assist. Um, but I feel like it's so. It's not fair to blame him. When you look at no, the no, way no, no. Liverpool it's are playing in general, him, you know, no, no, like no, if let's say Liverpool are flying, but what makes me nervous is mm. the things players do, which should be simple. We're talking about pro players playing in an elite team, right? Mm. That should be. I shouldn't be noticing these teams things, but I am, and okay, I am with Darwin yeah. Nunes. His touch, like you watch uh, him, honestly. Yeah. You watch him. It's a bit awkward. Touch is not great. Whenever he has to do something instinctive, it's fantastic. So whenever against Everton, there was a snap volley he had to take. Boom! From that angle, you're like, wow, that's crazy. But whenever he has the time to think about it, there's no finesse. He's you know he's really um, scuffing at shots. He's still raw, know, la. We discussed this before. He's still very raw, but the raw? Is, can you coach these simple things? I don't know, like, I don't know, I don't know the answer. Uh, yeah, but I think that's a question, it. bro. That's yeah, very if any, nervous about it. If if anyone potentially Klopp can, I feel we've been gifted with our past two signings of Diaz and Jota, who has fitted straight into the squad um, and technically the, they're very good players yeah maybe right? the type yeah. of players they are as well but definitely have to give Nunes a bit of time especially the way Klopp backs him in terms of his interviews and things so yeah so for the best fantastic so let's get our score predicted going this is on uh, is on cloud nine he managed to get the uh, correct prediction for the United <laughs> Arsenal oh, game God. he said 3-1 to United so that oh, puts him straight up takes an early lead uh, you know five points on the board for him two for myself and then one that for Kaiser so uh, yeah he's basking in all his score predicted Ooh, glory this morning feeling fine but God. just like the Premier League we've got we've got uh, me and Kaiser got some chance to redeem ourselves <laughs> chances to redeem ourselves we'll go for the City Spurs game so this as the victor so far I think you should go first Uish, this is tough um, I'm going 2-2 two, two. Tottenham Yeah, 2-2 two, two. Sorry Tottenham Nice, City. I like that Kaiser? 2-2 two, two. I'm actually going to go rogue To try and catch up As <laughs> well You're uh, going to go Let's go for Spurs win Let's go Might as well Might as well Let's go 2-1 to Spurs Let's go 2-1 to Spurs I'm going to go the opposite I'm going to say 2-1 to City So we've got three nice. different results That's safe so Someone's nice. winning Someone's losing here for sure Fine and then Chelsea, Liverpool. I think it's fair if I go first. I think this will be a 1-1 draw. Uh, Kaiser, mm. I'll come to you second. Yeah, I'm going to go with a draw as well. What I the hell? You're not confident, huh? this one. Liverpool have been poor. Very poor. Yeah, but... Very poor. Yeah, I want to say 2-2, but I don't think Chelsea can score two goals. But yeah. I'm surprised uh, you're so confident Liverpool can score. One one. No, no. Nah, okay, I'll go with Liverpool win. Nah. One nil. Ooh. One nil. One nil. Nice. I like yeah. it. I'm going Liverpool. Right. How uncertain. Two nil. Two nil. <laughs> two nil. Fantastic. I, don't I hope think both Chelsea of you guys score one goal or so lah. I, I hope both of you guys are right to be honest. But uh, that wraps it up nicely. Thank you so much to both of our guests who have come on today, Aslan and Kevin. It was fantastic having the view from a uh, you know 
someone who supports the actual team instead of three of us just talking nonsense. <laughs> uh, as always, it's been the Bola Boys. We'll see you soon. Woke up this morning feeling. Sonny is very lucky that his father is a better person than Oli. And I think you 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 are an ostrich. Next Tuesday, April Fool's Day is the biggest fool in Manchester, and that is you, David Myers. Football heritage. No one <laughs> wants to be a fullback as a kid. No one wants to grow up and be a Gary Neville. But unfortunately, crimes and wars will multiply. I love football.